Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each week, you'll join Messiah's Upper Room Bible Study Class led by Pastor Jim Oddy. This week, we continue our series on the Gospel of John. Enjoy. Our study uh, for uh, this morning, as we're going to kind of finish up now this uh, this uh, encounter that Jesus had with this Samaritan woman at the well. And so we recall again that Jesus had gone to get something to drink uh, at this well. And this woman came up in the middle of the day to, uh, to get some water for herself and her family. And then Jesus has this encounter. And so then they're having this conversation about many things. And not the least of which is to talk about uh, at, a, at a physical level, or temporal level, talking about the importance of water. But out of that conversation, Jesus then begins to talk about the importance of spiritual things as well. And so he makes reference to uh, living water. And then they go from that conversation to the marital status of this, uh, of this woman. And Jesus says, go call your husband. And then she, has, she says, well, I don't have a husband. And then Jesus says, well, you're right. You've had five men in your life. And the guy that you're living with right now isn't your husband as well. And so then they go into this this, this conversation about the significance of, of temporal security versus spiritual security. And, you know, that's the interesting thing about Jesus is that whenever he has the opportunity, he takes whatever is given to him in the form of an incident or in the form of an example, and he takes it to the next level, which is to talk about spiritual things. So now they, they're going to move the conversation into the idea of what is worship and in what way is worship to be acceptable to God and in what way is it not? All right. So that's where we're kind of going to kind of go this morning. So if you follow with me in John 4, we start at verse 20 and go down to 26. The woman says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, this part of the conversation starts out with the woman making a, a, a point about where proper worship was to have taken place. And she bases that on what she had been taught. So you remember, uh, oh, several weeks ago, we talked about the fact that there was this antagonistic relationship between Samaritans and Jews. And part of that then in terms of the teaching of the Samaritan teachers was that they further, they further exacerbated that division by saying that not only do we have this cultural thing going on, not only do we have this historical prejudice that exists between our two, uh, our two peoples, but we even have worship division. And the worship division is based on who owns the holy mountain? Who owns the holy mountain? So from the Jewish perspective, the holy mountain was Mount Ebal. And if you look at the reference to Deuteronomy 27, Verse four, it says, and when you have crossed over the Jordan, this is God talking, you shall set up these stones concerning which I command you today on Mount Ebal, and you shall plaster them with plaster. So in other words, they were to set up this, uh, I would say kind of a, maybe a monument would be a way of saying it. And then they were supposed made out of stone and then they covered up with plaster to kind of give it a sense of uh, importance and, and perhaps also that it would simply last longer. So the, the, Jewish, the Jewish belief and teaching was based on Deuteronomy. The Samaritan belief and teaching was that the, the holy mountain of God was, in fact, Mount Gerizim. And so you have this Mount Gerizim versus Mount Ebal, 
in terms of this argument of who is it that owns the holy mountain and who is it then therefore who is, is, is exhibiting true worship of God versus those, everybody else who is worshiping in, in, a, in a false sense, right? So what is at the heart of all of this is a more pertinent question that I think in some sense is still the question people want to know today. And that is, is the worship of God limited to a certain place? So why have a place then? It kind of goes to the question of, do you have to go to church to be a Christian? Now, remember, I asked, I had you think about that question last week, and then I threatened you <laughs> that if you weren't here today, right? So it is kind of that, but it's still that pertinent question that a lot of people ask today, and a lot of people have the answer that says, no, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, and so then, therefore, I won't, or I'll just do it less. And that's kind of a logical perspective, isn't it? If I don't have to do it in order to have faith, then maybe it's a, I can take a casual perspective toward that. Thoughts on that? Do you have to go to church to be a Christian? Yeah. Well, not that you have to go to be a Christian. I agree with that. But all of the Christian people which are you're surrounded with have such an influence so the people around you... The, your, your fellow Christians that yeah. you are with. Okay. <laughs> Except for, you know... <laughs> oh, who's judging, right? Yeah. We build each other up. Yeah. We support each other. We do all these things that are needed. I'm a real good example of that. That's what I've needed. Yeah. And so I've gotten, and, and it's, been, it's terribly important. Well, and you've also been on the giving end of that as well. That's always a two... That's a, two-way two street, most people would say. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what you're saying is, if I, I hope I don't mess it up. What you're saying is, is uh, that the encouragement side of it, the, the building up of, which would be pretty hard to do if you're not there, right? Yeah, okay, good point. Yeah, Mark? I think being in church too reinforces our faith and really keeps the forefront of our thoughts from a logical perspective. I mean, I, I, kind of an analogy to me might be, say you learn Italian while you're in Italy because you're immersed in it. Yeah. And then you come home and you slowly start to lose it a bit. Well, your Italian takes on a Texas slang is kind of <laughs> what it does. But yeah, but that's a good point is that there's a certain um, filling of the soul that occurs. And, and if you think of church in that way as a feeding trough, <laughs> that's weird. Um, but you think of it that way as a feeding, right? You think of it as a feeding, right? And we would say that certainly in the form of communion, we would say that, that, you know, communion is a feeding. That certainly is. But, but we also feed on the word. And I th- I think the difficulty for a lot of people is they say, well, I can do that at home. See, I can do that online. I can do that on the road. I can do that. And and so there is something, though, unique about church that, yeah, you can kind of get it other places, but it isn't the same, is it? You don't want that call to Pastor Paul. You don't? What is it? What is that you said? Oh, Sandy brought it up. Yeah, thank you for, for broadcasting what Sandy said. Yes, so, yeah, so what? You don't want that call from Pastor You don't want? Yeah, okay, so are you aware there's a list? No, you wouldn't be aware of it because none of you would be on it. What do you have to do to be on the list, do you know? You have to miss four Sundays in a row. Yeah, so I challenge you just to try that, just to see. You didn't hear that from me. I've never been on the list. I've never been on the list. Yeah, but that's the list. Yeah, go ahead. Can we define what you mean by church? Oh, let's do that. Yes, let's do that. What do we mean by church? Are you asking me to define what I mean by church? Well, we're all talking about it, Mm -hmm. but I'm not sure we all have the same definition. 
leave it to Brenda to really take us to the heart of the matter. Okay, so what do we mean by church? What do we mean by that? I would say more, it's more of the church body. The church body? It's not so much the location. The building? It's just all of us being together is what I think of as church. Yes. The body, it's not the location. So location doesn't matter. As long as it's all of us together. We could just all meet at the park. As long as we're doing what we're doing. At the ballpark. We could all meet (laughs) at the ballpark. No, well, I hear what you're saying, but I would say the environment kind of makes a difference in terms of what's conducive to worship. Okay. Church. Church. What do we mean by church? Yeah, Bob. Uh, Christ said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. And one of his commandments was uh, to love each other as he loved us. And how do you love people if you can't associate with them? So how do you keep Christ's commandments? And how do you say you love Christ if you don't keep his commandments? Yeah. And how do you love others the way God loves you? I'm tough. Yeah. It's almost impossible to love other people I mean, some people, (laughs) without the power of God's love working in you and the humility that you would have to realize that on those days when the person that you're thinking about that is so hard to love, that you're that person to God. And what does God do? He says, I love you. And he says, I love you, and I know every little thing about you. (laughs) And I still love you. That's pretty good, huh? Yeah, Carl. I'm right in the middle of reading Jeremiah right now. You're reading Jeremiah. That is awesome. Wow. It's a daily read. Yeah, good for you. And in this portion, just just yesterday, it talks about what's not the church. Mm -hmm. Those who... God is, is telling Jeremiah to, to, to tell the people, you've blown it. You know, you, you, you put on a big show, yeah. but all during the week you do your other things. Matter of fact, you, all show, you only show up once in a while yeah. at the temple, and then you, you do your sacrifices, and they're false. Yeah. Because it's not in your heart. Yeah. And he's encouraged, he's encouraged them again and again. He says, I've encouraged you, encouraged you, taught you. But you can turn away from this. Yeah. And yeah. so these people are staying away. And then when they do come, they do the ritual, but it's meaningless. Yeah. And, yeah. and for that, of course, the next step was they, they went to Babylon. Yeah. <laughs> so, sure. Uh, so this is a message to, to all of us that the church is very important to God. Yeah. And we are the church. Yeah. And it has to be in our heart. Mm-hmm. The church has to be in our heart individually and collectively. Yeah. And so there is great value in the gathering part of the church because then what happens is that we share our heart with each other. And, you know, one of the things that's always kind of interesting to me about this is that when you can go to church anytime you want to, the possibility exists that you might take it for granted because you can do it, right? You can get in your car and you can drive over. If you live nearby, you can walk. I mean, it's just, you're able to do that. And you will be likely to have that perspective until the day comes that you can't come anymore because maybe your health won't let you or maybe you don't have a way to get here. Or maybe perhaps you um, have some diminishment of your faculties and it would be just too disrupting or too disconcerting to come. And when that day happens, what will happen to your perspective toward church? You'll miss it. Now, at our place here, we do the best we can to take church to our homebound folks and to our shut-ins. And we do it in a lot of different ways now. With uh, technology, we're able to do some live streaming kind of stuff. We also do DVDs for, of the service. So we send it out. We do monthly communion for, uh, for our uh, shut-ins. Pastor Wilmer and I mostly do that. Um, so we, we do the best we can to bring church to people. But I, I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with the people to whom we bring church 
who will say to me, I miss it. And to some degree, these are people that have had a long history of of being very faithful in coming and being a part of the body of Christ and feeling the, the, the joy of the fellowship of that. that there, there is that, that part of it that they miss. But they also miss the gathering. It's like a family reunion every week. And they just miss it, right? So it's just something to be aware of that sometimes when, when, so, when you have easy access to something, Whenever you want, you kind of, we kind of just do, it's kind of a not, I'm not saying bad, bad, bad. I'm just saying that's kind of a, a natural tendency, right? Is to sort of take it for granted. And then what happens at some point is it, you can't take it for granted anymore. You're in the hospital and you're, you know, dealing with recovery for a long time for heart stuff or whatever it is. You miss it, right? Okay. Other hands. We had some other. Hand, oh, Yeah. Kathy would probably better explain it than I can, but I remember her talking um, frequently. The city would say, why do we need libraries? Because you can get it all off the Internet. You can, you don't. Why do we need libraries? That's an interesting parallel here. Yeah. The, the thing is, the library becomes a gathering place. A gathering place. Yeah, but you have to be so quiet there. How do you? <laughs> but my point is okay. that, that somewhere embedded in us as people yeah. is a need to be with other people. Right. And I think that's what the church does that. Yeah, it does. And even if you're not religious. Right. It's still there yeah. that you want to be with people. So that, that may say a little bit about how mindful we need to be about part of our role when people come that maybe aren't necessarily as um, versed in church life. And I'm thinking particularly of Messiah here because Messiah is a more traditional church. And what I mean by that is that when you walk in our building and when you engage in our worship, there are certain things that you do and there are certain things you don't do. And we don't have it written down anywhere what you don't do. It's like the unwritten rules of baseball, right? Do you know these unwritten rules? Do you, anybody know what the unwritten rules are? Nobody knows because they're unwritten. <laughs> Nobody knows. But when somebody breaks one of the, rule, the unwritten rules of baseball, there's a fist fight that occurs. The bench is clear because everybody's offended that you broke one of the unwritten rules of baseball. Well, church is kind of the same way. Now, we haven't had any fights lately. So, but it's a little bit like that, that for people that were not raised churched, that's a level of Person, personal experience, or for people that were not raised Lutheran, maybe they were raised, you know, non-denominational or Baptist or some other denomination that if you walked into a Baptist church and then you walked into a Lutheran church, you would know instantly that they weren't the same, all right? I mean, we worship the same Jesus, thank goodness, but, but everything is different. And then even within Lutheranism, Messiah is, is a fairly churchy church. Agree? Yeah. I mean, we're a churchy church. Uh, for example, I had invited a, a young guy that I knew from the area to come to our church, and he was raised in a Methodist church with non-denominational sprinklings. That's kind of how we described it. We described it that way. And he, when he came in, he was kind of blown away by the size of it. That was kind of a new thing for him. But the thing that was the hardest thing for him to get past was the fact that we have kneelers. And we use kneelers. And for him, growing up in the Methodists with non-denominational sprinklings, a kneeler meant what? Catholic. He couldn't get past it. So see, to some degree, there is a there's a variety of, of sort of worship experiences that people have had. And I think one of, the, one of the things I'm trying to say here is that for those of us that are sort of born and bred in it, maybe can't think of a better way of saying that, okay? There are certain things that we just assume and we adapt to it and we go ahead and do it. But that's not necessarily true for everybody. So I guess what I'm trying to say is to, for us to be mindful of that, 
when it comes to how we interact with others who may not have the same comfort level with some of those things. And yet, if we're going to be the body of Christ, the, the gathering, if you will, to maybe extend our comfort zones out just a little bit and go and visit or smile at or greet someone who maybe that you don't know or who maybe has that sort of lost look on their face, okay? We all know what that is, right? And so to think of it that way goes beyond the idea that we're here to be fed and I'm so glad I got fed and what a wonderful day it was that I got fed. That's all good, but what's missing? That maybe I could reach out to you. Maybe I could step out just a little bit of my sort of comfort zone and connect with somebody that I don't know so that I can be one who would bring into the body someone who maybe is part of the body but just doesn't feel like they're part of the body. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Kathy. Um, three weeks ago, I was on Next Door. I'm in Richardson, but we get part of this part of Plano. Uh-huh. And there was a story about the development across from the Lutheran Church on Plano Parkway. Oh, and the Lutheran Church. Well, that's us. And I talked about the gazillion, um, whether it's true or not, because I don't live in Plano, mm-hmm. a gazillion apartments and townhomes and uh, all these, right across from us, we're oh, going to yeah. have all these non-traditional right. homes. Right, You know, we may we'll walk across the street. So we may have an opportunity to do that sooner than we thought. Yeah, it's it will be an interesting sort of phenomenon because in a lot of places where the, you know, four and five story gated, all those are going up. Yeah, there's a lot of people come in and move in who uh, maybe aren't necessarily uh, oriented in a church way. Now, someone might be. In some settings, and this is kind of true in, with Lutherans, I don't know if it's true in other denominations, but we're not exactly known as the most outgoing, you know. <laughs> well, we're just not. I mean, I, you know, I don't know if it's a, I don't know if it's personality or, you know, whatever, German. I don't know. I'm not sure what it is, okay? But, but that's part of where we have to kind of overcome ourselves a little bit, right? Yeah, and to figure out some ways that Messiah could be on the map as far as some of those folks are concerned. So that would be a wonderful challenge. Sometimes... Sometimes God brings the mission field to us instead of only thinking of the mission field as some far, from some far away place is that all of a sudden you wake up one morning and you're surrounded by, you know, uh, all, all this development. And uh, so we'll get to see how we, uh, how we do that. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. I had one more. Somebody else had their hand. Oh, yeah. Um, in terms of whether or not we, corporate worship should be part of what we do, there's a specific verse that says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. I don't remember the content. Oh, I just happen to have it down here. Oh, look at that. Let's go down to the very bottom. Yeah, that was an excellent segue and a hint to get back into our lesson for today. So, all right. So let's at the very bottom, there's Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. Okay. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some already in the New Testament days, right? But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So notice what, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is part of our task or our function as we gather together. What does he say? He says... Don't consider how to do what? Stir one another up. Oh, to love and do good works. Okay, so it's okay to stir each other up. That's okay, but to stir each other up with the intention of what? Yeah, it's, it's let me help you love somebody, and you help me love somebody. And let me help you think about doing good for others, and you do the same for me. You stir me up, okay? And then not neglecting to meet together, but doing what? In 
encouraging one another. And all the more, as, when he says, as you see the day drawing near, what he's talking about is as life gets tougher. Because as we approach the end times, you know, if we're in it or near it or wherever it is that we are with it, life gets tougher. That's what Pastor Coleman was talking about today in the sermon. Life gets tougher. And just because you're a Christian kind of means it's going to be even tougher. So we need to have that, that impetus and that, that commission for each other that we're encouraging one another. So when you think in terms of all the different reasons why you come to church, and there's 50, okay? There's all different reasons. And here I'm using the word church to mean here, okay? Not limiting it to here, but certainly including it here, right? Is to make sure that in addition to all the other reasons you came, you're also doing this. That you can walk away and you can say, like today, you can say, I, I, I was an encourager today. And I was stirring somebody up to, to love. And I was stirring somebody up to have not just a good week. We say that all the time, have a good week. Maybe change that a little bit. Be good this week. How about that? Woo. Yeah, Dennis. You know, some translations, instead of saying stir one another up, they say spur one another on. Spur one another. That's a Texan who wrote that one. That's, <laughs> that's a little bit more pronounced, isn't it? Spur one another up. Could you have some clues? So do you have like an example of what that would look like, spurring someone? Uh, yeah. 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 And, and there is that, it's not just an encouragement of, oh, gee, I hope you do it. It's almost a mandate, isn't it? That that's kind of what we're to be about. Yeah, Marv, you had your hand up. It was so long ago, I know you forgot what it was. Yeah. Well, earlier we were talking about, as, as a church, especially going as a bigger church, the Missouri Senate. Missouri Senate. And we were talking about the apartments being built across the street. Yeah. And you mentioned the young man you invited. Mm-hmm. It must be a challenge for not only Missouri Senate, but this church in addition, because you said it was so traditional, to attract you. I mean, how do you, you see, I've been to these non-denominational churches mm-hmm. just humongous yeah. because of the modern church music they're playing. Yeah. So, I mean, it must be a continuous challenge. I mean, what are they doing to address it? Uh, I'm curious. Maybe it's a question for another time. But. Yeah, definitely another time, that's for sure. <laughs> Well, you know, here's, here is kind of an interesting phenomenon, though, with that. And I can see we're just going to go way off this. We'll come back to spirit and truth at some point, all right? But it is still relevant. In the last six weeks, there have been two high-profile, non-denominational song composers slash preachers who have come out publicly saying now that they're renouncing their Christianity, And these are people that were at one time viewed, they're 20-somethings, so they're not like old like us. It's just, you know, kind of fresh in the faith, right? But these are people that were viewed as the, the kings of attractional worship. And that's kind of a term that's used to describe the perspective that a church would have, that we're going to create programs and, and worship experiences and, and, and amazing preaching. And we're going to do all this sort of kind of uh, enthusiastic kinds of stuff, okay, to attract people. And when we attract people on Sunday morning, there'll be 5,000 people there, there'll be 10,000 people there, whatever it might be. And in the last six weeks, there's been two Two high profile, these are very prominent in the more evangelical community who have come out with that and said, I'm renouncing my faith or are saying my faith is weakening and I can no longer fully support all the tenets of Christianity. It says something about, well, I think two things. One is renouncing your faith in the moment is not the same as saying you renounce it for the rest of your life and you're going to hell. So we want to make that clear. But to come out publicly and say in some sense that you as a Christian influencer who have up to that point influenced thousands of younger people, right? To come to faith in Jesus and all those kinds of things to sort of come out later and say, you know, I'm not really sure 
that that's what I believe or to come right out and say, I'm no longer am there. Okay, they have integrity in doing that for sure. But that does say something about maybe that approach to worship is a little bit more emotion based and not enough solid foundation word of God stuff based. I don't know. We'll see where that goes. But so the challenge is, yes, to how do you do that? And in particular, how do you do that with uh, generations of people, some of whom grew up in the church and said, I'm done with all the rules. I'm done with all the organization. I'm done with all the stuff that uh, nobody likes about church. Some people have done that. And other people who did not grow up in the church and have no idea who Moses is are clueless about who Noah was who have no sense of the stories, how do we connect? How do we do that? That will be our challenge. Yeah, that'll be our challenge. Yeah, Robert. I wonder if these people are not spending any time in God's Word daily. Uh-huh. You know, and they just drift. But if you spend a little time in God's Word daily, He's going to hold on to you. Yeah. Yeah, there is a, we've talked before about assurance and reassurance and those kinds of things, right? And there is that, a deeper feeding that happens. It's not just intellectual when you spend time in the Word. It's not just up here. It is up here, but it's not just up here. It's also, a, your core is strengthened. And it's not just your core in terms of what you believe, but it's in terms of who you are. And Lord knows at any point in life, you will have people and circumstances in your life that will come up to you and they will challenge that. And you'll be thinking, is it really worth it? And you might even flirt with the idea of thinking, no, it's not worth it. And I think to some degree, that's what happened with some of these uh, high profile guys. They decided it wasn't worth it. Well, okay, they're on a spiritual journey too. And currently their journey is taking them into the quicksand, which we all know what that is right? So there's just something about that idea. And that's kind of what we're going after here. Okay. Now I'm going to segue back into our lesson in a more deliberate way. Okay. We've gone indeliberate on our lesson. Now we're going to go deliberate. All right. So notice what Jesus says. He says, believe me, the hour is coming when the holy mountain and the holy place that you all have established for generations is your place that place isn't going to be where worship happens. He says to the Samaritan woman, you worship what you do not know. I suspect there's a lot of people today that are worshiping what they do not know. Now notice what is not up for debate is whether you worship or not. Everybody worships, right? Everybody worships. The question is, what is the object of your worship. And in some sense, maybe who is the object of your worship. And as far as Jesus is concerned, it kind of comes down to two choices. You're worshiping him or you worship yourself. And if you worship yourself, that might be the ultimate God is yourself by many different names. Okay. And so that's where we get to this, this sense of that the importance of worshiping something that is true versus once it, uh, worshiping something that is not true. And that's where Jesus is going in terms of this idea that those who would worship God in that true way are worshiping him in spirit and in truth. It's two things, not just one. A lot of people today are very attracted to the idea of worshiping God in spirit. Wouldn't that be attractive? Wouldn't that be exciting? Wouldn't that be fulfilling in some exhilarating kind of way? I mean, you know, how many times have you walked out of Messiah feeling exhilarated? Nobody is raising their hand on that one. What a sad deal that is, right? Yeah, I get we're having fun with that. All right. I mean, is it wrong to feel exhilarated in your spirit as you worship or coming out of worship? Is that bad? Is that wrong? 
No, no, it's an important thing. But when we talk about spirit, what we're talking about is our spirit connecting with God's Holy Spirit, that there is a commitment of one's spirit to connect with God in the same way that God connects with you. But Jesus adds that extra part. He says it isn't just spirit, it's what? Spirit and truth. Truth matters. Patrick Coleman made reference to... uh, Something that we also are touching on in our lesson for today, somewhere it's in here, I know it is. All right, if you, like, if you, if you look on uh, halfway down in terms of, uh, uh, well, let's just stop at the top third, okay, where it says God is spirit. He focuses in on the idea that true worship and truth is distinguished from that which is false. So how do you know what's true? How do you know when a preacher gets up on Sunday morning at Messiah or wherever and says, I'm speaking the truth, how do you know it is? What are you you basing that on? Pardon? Scripture. So if Scripture is going to be the foundation for that which we then use as the, the measuring stick, if you will, of what is truth and what is not truth, then we better make sure that we believe the same things about Scripture itself and the significance and the importance of that. And the reason why I say that is because there is not unanimity in Christendom, much less in even Lutheranism, as to that we're all in agreement in terms of the nature of God's Word. So at Messiah... In terms of our view toward God's word, there's those three things that are listed there under point C. And this would be the foundation that we would say then this is why we would, we would then listen to whatever we listen to, hear whatever we hear, and we would be able to discern mostly if something is true versus something not true. That number one, the Bible is the word of God, not merely containing the word of God. We've talked about these before. But what's the difference between saying the Bible is the word of God versus saying the Bible contains the word of God? What's the difference? That's what happens. Now, I, I don't know that that's what the original intent of saying that, but that's what happens is that if I say it contains the word of God, it contains the word of God then it, I, I leave the door open for the possibility that there might be some things in the Bible that aren't the word of God. And maybe it just so happens that those things that are not the word of God happen to be the things that convict me in terms of the way I live my life. If I say, well, that part's the word of God, but that part isn't. Now, where we see that happening the most today is in with people and also theologians who want to to separate out in terms of the word of God, the words of Jesus versus the words of everybody else. So if St. Paul said it, it doesn't have near the authority that it would if Jesus said it. And so in terms of certain certain societal things that are going on today, Uh, The views toward homosexuality, the views toward gay marriage, the view toward abortion, many of those things. What often people will say is, well, Jesus never said anything about that. So if Jesus never said anything about that, then the fact that he didn't say anything about it must mean in some way it's okay. But if St. Paul had something to say about that, well, we would discount that or at least put that at a lower credibility level because after all, St. Paul was human, and Jesus is God, and so Jesus holds higher credibility than St. Paul. And at Messiah Lutheran, anyway, you won't hear us say that. Because we what? We look at the whole word as what? The word of God. Now, does that mean we understand every single thing that goes on? No, we, but what we do is we say we trust that that is God's word inspired the whole thing Versus saying, well, Jesus versus St. Paul, Jesus versus Timothy, Jesus versus John, that kind of thing. Make sense? Okay, the second one is that the Bible is inerrant and infallible. What does that mean? Don't make any mistakes. Now, that one's a little tough to get past. Because it's hard for us in this life and in this world to find anything that would be like that. 
But again, if you make the case that says, well, the Bible does have some errors in it. It does make some mistakes. That opens the door for me to pick and choose which part that is, especially as it applies to me. The Bible makes no mistakes when it's applied to your life. Why do I keep looking at you? I don't know. I don't know why that is. But you're a good sport about it anyway, right? But I can pick and choose when it comes to my life. Okay? And then the third one, the Bible is the norm for Christian living. All right? It's the Bible. The Bible is that. Now, does that mean we live it perfectly? Heavens no. Heavens no. We, that's a striving each day for us. But again, it's based on the scripture and, and just part of what you need to know and be kind of informed and maybe discerning about it is that uh, even within Lutheranism, this is not all agreed on. And that's mostly synodical, okay? So mostly Missouri Synod would lean toward this is all how we believe the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America would kind of tend to move in a more liberal uh, direction, okay? So there's Christians in both, but just to be aware of that, all right? So Jesus makes a big deal about the significance of truth, And the reason is, is because if it's truth, then it's something that you can put your temporal and eternal life into that hands of that. And see, that becomes the question that we want to ask is what is it that you are willing to put your temporal uh, happiness of life or joy in life, not happiness, but joy and security in life. And then ultimately, the, uh, the hands of, your, of eternity, what are you willing to put in, yourself into that? Something that's true or something that's not? Something that's questionable or something that's not? And that becomes the ultimate question for, for all of us. So if you look down, uh, halfway down, again, the reference to God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Uh, A couple of points here. In our world today, many people teach and believe that truth is relegated to the interpretation of truth. Uh, Pastor Coleman mentioned this earlier in, uh, in the sermon. As in the idea that there are multiple ways to interpret and understand truth. And so therefore, no one can legitimately claim to have ultimate truth, not even the Bible. And see, that's where... As a Christian, if you're a so-called Bible-believing Christian, if we say it that way, okay, you're going to run into difficulty having a conversation with somebody who doesn't believe that, who looks at truth in a more relative way. Well, your truth, that's your truth, right? And who are you to say that your truth is more important, should be more important to me? Well, I can see where it's very important to you, but my truth is different And so then, therefore, I'm going to hold to my truth and you hold to your truth. And why don't we just get along? We can get along. We need to get along. But we're we're going to have a difficult time having that conversation at the level of truth when um, we don't even we don't even agree on what truth itself is. And if it's even relative, if it even matters. So Jesus makes that point. So in John's gospel, we've talked about this. The word true can be understood as the word real. When we talk about something being real, what we're really talking about is it's dependable. You can put your life into its hands and it will not abandon you. It will not, it, it will not um, uh, lead you astray. Now, it might take you down a hard path, a non-easy path, Right? But you, it's, it, you, it's reliable to you. you. It will always be there for you in an amazing way. And you can then put the temporal and eternal well-being of your life into its hands. Now, what is, what's kind of interesting in the Gospel of John and then also in the epistles of John. And by the way, have I mentioned the men's retreat yet? Have I mentioned that yet? Uh, the men's retreat, uh, that wouldn't apply to this table, sorry. But we're having a men's retreat this year again, and we'll be studying the, uh, the epistle of John, or First John, okay? So you might want to read ahead, those of you that uh, will be coming to that. But in First in John, he, what he does is he pits truth against deception. And when we're talking about deception, what we're really talking about is the ability that we as humans have to deceive ourselves. If you look at 1 John 8 to 10, 1 John 1, 8 to 10, 
He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. There's that word truth. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make God to be a liar and his word is not in us. When do you say you have no sin? When do you say that? Do you, you don't ever say that? You have no sin? Oh, wow, it's amazing. Then he says, you're just deceiving yourself. That's what he's saying, all right? When do you say you have not sinned? When you've been caught red-handed doing it, <laughs> and you're embarrassed about it, and you feel like the light is shining on you, that's when you say you have not sinned. Now, the nature of self-deception is, is that we would do that very thing, right? Think about the woman at the well with Jesus. Her life and her lifestyle, could, it could be argued, was one of great sin, okay? Now, great, greater than others, I don't, I'm not using it that way, but she was living a life of a prostitute, whether she was taking money for it or not, don't know, but but probably she was doing that because that, in some sense, what else was she going to do? What sort of self-justifications might she have used to justify staying in that lifestyle? <laughs> Pardon? I have to eat. I have to eat. <laughs> I.e. survive. That would be one. What else? If I have children, how else are they going to survive? I got to do something. I can't turn to the social safety net. There isn't one. Okay. What else? Justifications that she might have used and maybe some that we have used at different points in our lives when, when we have made sinful choices and then have had the light shined on that. Being homeless. Hmm? Maybe he has a home and she would be homeless at one. Okay. What about everybody's doing it? How about that one? How about who are you to judge? How about that one? Right? And so the point is, is that what, what self-justification does is it always accompanies self-deception. And what truth does is truth cuts right through that and says something is right or something is wrong. Something is good, something is bad. Something is worth putting your trust and your security in, and some things are not. If what you base all of that on has to do with the whims of the time in which we live, as opposed to God's word, you're always going to be living on kind of the edge of insecurity. So we talked about this a little bit last week, and we'll kind of close with this. Jesus was calling her out, was he not? You, didn't, you weren't sure about that last week when I asked that question, okay? Jesus is calling her out. For what purpose? To bring her back to the truth. To cut through the self-deception. And to bring her back to making her life be reflective of the love that God had for her. In many ways, Jesus is doing what? He's stirring her up, is he not? He's encouraging her. And in some sense, Dennis, maybe he's even spurring her on. Sin, so we're going to see that next week. That she realizes that. And she not only realizes that for herself, but then she does what? She goes to her friends and neighbors and says, this guy is the real thing. So as we think about that with respect to our day-to-day -day here at worship, here at church, if you will, and then think about how we are the church in the coming days of this week, that we would be what? Encouraging one another, that we would be stirring one another up, and that we build one another up in the body of Christ. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the privilege that we have to be in your kingdom and in a relationship with you. We didn't do anything to deserve it as if we could. But you and your love have reached out to us 
and you have brought us in to be one of yours. Lord, everybody in the world has an opportunity to be one of yours. But there's so many people in the world who don't know that. They, 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 either they're afraid of it, they run from it, they, they have miscon- misconceptions about it. And so we here in the church have the opportunity to be the church in the world and to, and to draw others to you. So help us do that uh, this week, dear Lord. Challenge us to do it and, and let us know that if we do it and we're not successful, whatever success is, we know that, that, that your word does not return void that we plant the seeds of your love, and then we let you and your Holy Spirit take over from there. Watch over us, dear Lord. Be with, uh, be with each of us today. Be with those that are listening to our, to our podcast this week. And uh, we certainly pray that uh, until we're together again, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. If you want to join the discussion, please send us an email with your question or comment to messiahlutheranpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll be happy to read it during an upcoming class. You can also go to our website at www.messiahlutheranpodcast.com, where you can find links to all the previous episodes and copies of our class notes in case you want to follow along with each episode. You can also find out where to subscribe to the podcast at messiahlutheranpodcast.com slash subscribe for links on how you can find us on iTunes, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or any other podcast catcher of your choice. If you feel like we have given you any value during this podcast, please consider going to our podcast page in iTunes and leaving a rating or a review. Not only will that provide us with valuable feedback that we can use to improve the podcast for you, but it will help this podcast to climb the iTunes rankings and help us spread God's message to anyone willing to listen. Once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode. And until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.